We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community. I don't know where you read the Bible. <laughs> what? Never seen a guy in a little room before? I don't know where you read the Bible, uh, but maybe it's in a room, you know, something like this. Uh, maybe you uh, read the Bible on a device. Maybe you do it the good old-fashioned way. You take the good book and you open it and read it. Uh, I don't know, if you've been around uh, Black Rock recently, uh, you know that uh, we have over 500 people uh, who have committed to join together and read through the Bible or read through the New Testament in a year. Uh, we've been calling this effort, Read It, Live It, and uh, it's not too late to jump in. I mean, it's January, so join us. And maybe you're going through the reading plan that we're all on, and uh, you come to this uh, place in Genesis chapter 12 where it says this, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. Now, there's two ways to uh, read these words in Scripture. The first way is to just read these words as if they were just history. That's reading these words as if they were just what God said in the past to a person in the past about what's relevant in the past. That's the first way uh, to read these words of Scripture. The second way to read these words of Scripture is to go beyond reading the Bible as just history and reading these words as his story, God's story, God's living, ongoing story, such that the words of Scripture call me in and invite me in to become a part of God's story as an active participant, such that every time I read these words, it's God calling me to receive and apply his word for today, which brings us back to uh, this room. Uh, this room represents reading scripture that first way, as if it's just history. And like this room, reading the Bible as just history may be comfy, but it's also confining and constricting and cramped. 
And God is calling me to break out of this tiny way of reading scripture and come on to the expansive stage where his story has been playing out in the past and is continuing today. Where God is calling me on the stage to be not just a reader of his story, but a participant in his story. Where God is calling me to not just read the Bible and uh, read about miracles in the past, but actually use the Bible as a way that guides me in to become a part of the miraculous story that God is telling now, where God is asking me to not only just read the Bible about the past heroes of the faith, but actually learn from them so that I can be one in God's story right now. God is calling me to go beyond just reading Bible history and actually become part of his story. And so for the next nine weeks, we're going to be uh, studying the Bible uh, in nine categories. Uh, And in each category, we're going to be asking how we can apply uh, the story that God is telling in the Bible to our lives and his story right now. So that Today, we're uh, studying the patriarchs, and then next week will be the law, and then the kings, and then the psalms, and then the prophets, and then we'll break into the New Testament, and each week, uh, we'll study what it means to go beyond just reading the Bible as history and participating in his story. And like I said, today, we begin with the patriarchs, which refer to those four principal characters that are in the opening act of God's story. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But before I get to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I first need to review the prologue of God's story in the first 10 chapters of Genesis. The Bible starts with those famous words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the story begins with God and with his declaration that he made everything and he made every one. He made us. God gave Adam and Eve this perfect place of perfect joy where they had a perfect relationship with each other and a perfect relationship with God. But God also created us with the ability to make choices when it comes to our relationship with God. And Adam and Eve fell under temptation, and they chose to rebel against God. And that one choice ruined everything. Uh, It brought pain and separation between Adam and Eve, and it brought pain and separation between them and God. But God had a plan. God had a plan uh, to restore what was ruined. God had a plan to save Adam and Eve and bring them, us, back to the blessings of a relationship with him. And God announced his plan in the words of a cryptic curse uh, upon the serpent tempter. In these words, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is God's story. God's big story is the story of a savior who would be born of a woman in a specific family line. And so although the savior's birth culminates in a human uh, woman giving birth, the family line process starts with a human father named 
Abraham. Uh, as we read earlier, God came to Abraham and said in Genesis 12, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and you will be a blessing. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So these words signal the opening act of God's story, which is called the period of the patriarchs. Uh, and the reason this period is called the patriarchs is because that's what Abraham means. God chose this man and gave him the name Abraham, which means father of many or patriarch. And so God's story is about, starts with uh, Abraham, who is the father of Isaac, who is the father of Jacob, and who is the father then of Joseph. And this whole family line received the same promise that God repeats uh, to each one of these patriarchs. The promise is, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And I think to myself, wouldn't it be awesome if God gave that promise to me, I will bless you and make you a blessing? Wow, if I'm a follower of Jesus, God does give me this same promise. According to the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, uh, if I follow the Savior, Jesus, then God's promises to Abraham are not only about me, they are for me. Uh, God's promise to Abraham is certainly about me because Every follower of Jesus is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that all peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. But God's promise to Abraham is not only about me, but it is also for me. Scripture says that when I follow Jesus, I become an adopted member of Jesus' family, of his family line which means that the family promise that goes to the patriarchs becomes a family promise to me, which means that as I read his story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, I'm reading the story that I am a part of as well. God wants me to learn from the patriarchs in the Bible because the promise God gave them is the same promise that he gives me and you as a child of Abraham through the Savior Jesus. And what's that promise? The promise is, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And here's what I learned from the patriarchs. I learned that God's blessing on my life is his presence in my life. What does it mean when God says to a person, I will bless you? What does it mean when God says to Abraham or God says to me, I will bless you? Uh, does it mean that God will shower me with money and material wealth? Well, I get the answer uh, in the patriarchs. And the answer is no. Uh, Joseph received God's promise of blessing, and did that mean that Joseph was rich? No. In fact, for many long years of his formative history, Joseph went from poverty to slavery to the penitentiary. Uh, God eventually, you know, lifted Joseph to a position of power, but the point is that God was blessing Joseph even when he was a slave in Potiphar's house. God was blessing Joseph 
even when he was a prisoner in jail and in poverty, which makes it clear that when God says to me or to Joseph, I will bless you, that blessing in God's definition of blessing goes much deeper than material wealth. In scripture, God's definition of what this blessing means is summarized in one phrase that is repeated over and over again to the patriarchs, and it is this. Over and over we read, God was with Abraham. God was with Isaac. God was with Jacob. God was with Joseph, over and over, the Bible makes it clear that God's blessing on my life is his presence in my life. Does it make a difference that God is with you? Yeah, it makes all the difference. I mean, can you see how your entire storyline is transformed if you see and believe that God is with you? in your story. Your story becomes one of fearlessness and boldness and confidence because if God is with you, then you can boldly attempt big things for God. Your story becomes one of purpose and meaning because if God is with you, then you don't see coincidences. You see God's presence and his divinely orchestrated events in your life. Your story becomes one of unshakable faith because if God is with you, that means that nothing is impossible, but that God can turn your greatest pain into your greatest power in life, that God can turn your biggest problems into your biggest opportunities. That was Joseph's story. Uh, when he was thrown into an abandoned well, the scripture says that God was with Joseph in the pit. Uh, when Joseph was thrown into slavery, the scripture says that God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. Uh, when Joseph was thrown into jail, the scripture says that God was with Joseph in prison. The pit and Potiphar's house and prison were not taking Joseph down, they were all part of God's plan to lift him up to uh, Egypt's oval office and uh, the opportunity for Joseph to be a part of blessing countless lives by storing up food against a coming famine. And this is what God means when he says to me, I will bless you. It doesn't mean that I'll have material wealth. It doesn't mean that I'll I'll be spared all pits and problems and pain. When God says, I will bless you, he means I will be with you in the ups and the downs of your storyline such that your story will bear the remarkable signs of my remarkable presence in your life. So in the patriarchs, I learned that God's blessing on my life is God's presence in my life. But I also learned this from the patriarchs. God's promise for my life is blessing others through my life. When I daydream, I think about how it must have been for Abraham, just a heart-pounding experience to experience the, the joy of hearing God promise that, that Abraham would be a blessing, that he'd bless people 
in countless ways that would ripple out from him in ways that he would never be able to know about and imagine. And then God reminds me that he gives me this same promise and to every other follower of Jesus. Just like God ordered Abraham's steps so that he was in the right place at the right time to bless people, God promises to do the same thing for me. With God, there are no coincidences in my life. God wants me to understand that every moment of every day, uh, he is putting me in specific places at the specific time so I can fulfill my God-given purpose to be a blessing to specific people around me. But to be honest, I forget. I forget. I forget my purpose, my God-given purpose. I forget that with God, there are no coincidences in this journey of his plan to make me a blessing to other people. I forget, but then God gives me an experience along the way uh, to remind me, to wake me up to my purpose in him. Um, I'd like to share with you uh, one such wake-up experience. And I'll start by telling you where this experience ends. This experience ends in a monastery on the coast of California. Uh, this monastery hosts uh, Christian conferences, and that's why I was there. But really, the interesting thing about this monastery is that uh, it sits in one of the most exclusive neighborhoods in the world. Uh, this monastery was in Malibu, uh, 100 years before it became an enclave for Hollywood and the big movie moguls and television stars. So that's where this experience ends. But the story begins in Manhattan. Uh, my wife had a, uh, an appointment in the city, uh, and so I had a, uh, an hour to kill just to walk around uh, Midtown, and I ended up on uh, 54th Street and walking uh, by this really swanky hotel. And in front of this uh, swanky hotel were a couple of guys with professional cameras. And I could tell just by the way they were, they were perched there uh, at the hotel entrance that they were expecting a celebrity uh, to come out. And so I said, I want to wait around and see who comes out. And uh, two minutes later, I could hear the click of the, uh, of the cameras. And out of the uh, hotel comes Kelsey Grammer. And I'm not a big uh, sitcom fan, but I immediately recognized him as the star of Cheers and his own show, Frasier. And uh, uh, the funny thing is, I had just a day or two before, uh, was in my dentist's uh, waiting room and uh, picked up a magazine and read about Kelsey Grammer. I had read about how he was in and out of rehab and uh, how most recently he had had a, a mild heart attack and was in the hospital for some time. And uh, now Kelsey Grammer was, was coming out of the hotel. And I don't know why, but when he came out, uh, he just stood next to me. And uh, uh, so the flashes were uh, going on with uh, us there together. And, uh, and then I uh, stuck out my hand, and he shook my hand. And I said, hi, Kelsey, how you feeling? And uh, he said, great, I'm feeling much better, uh, much better. And... He didn't leave, and so I said, read about you in my dentist office. And uh, so I, I can't believe this is 
a coincidence, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And then he took off toward 6th Avenue. And I thought, God, this was not a coincidence, right? I mean, I remembered how God had led me to the particular magazine in the dentist's office and then led me to this particular hotel at this specific time so I could meet Kelsey Grammer. And, uh, and then I remembered how I told Kelsey that I'd be praying for him. And so I did. I started praying for him that God would bless him, that God would uh, bring Kelsey to himself. Then a short time later, I uh, had this conference at a monastery in Malibu. And uh, during one of our breaks, uh, I, along with three of my pastor friends, uh, left the conference, we started to walk around the neighborhood. And we were walking around these lovely rolling roads. And uh, suddenly, walking down an incline toward me came Kelsey Grammer. And so I, I left my three friends behind, and I went up to him, and I didn't know exactly what to say, and so I just stuck out my hand and said, I can't believe that I met you in Manhattan, and now I know where you live. And he looked frightened. And, uh, and I said, wait, 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 let me start over. I said, no, I'm, I'm at the monastery, and I've been praying for you for a long time. And now he looked frightened and confused. And uh, I said, no, no. Uh, I said, so really what I mean to say, Kelsey, is that it's clear that God is reaching out to you and that he knows you and loves you. And uh, then I introduced Kelsey to my three awe-stricken friends. And uh, then Kelsey had a restraining order put on me and uh, so I can bless him. 30 feet away. Uh, I'm kidding, 20 feet. But uh, it was, uh, you know, this is one of those uh, situations where I, I realized, I remembered, I, I could remember that, that God has a plan, and I don't know what God is doing in Kelsey Grammar, but it seems to me like God wants to bring Frazier to the Savior. Uh, I don't know what God's doing. But what I do know is that my fumbling words and my lame attempts are no barrier to God, no barrier to him making me a blessing and to reach out with blessing to even people like Kelsey Grammer. But I forget, I forget. But this experience reminds me that God is with me, which means that there are no coincidences, which means that every moment of every day, God is pulling me into specific places at specific times to have a specific blessing to share with specific people in my life, and that's you too. Uh, just like Abraham, the purpose of your life is to bless others through your life. And maybe you're saying, well, of course God can use a spiritual giant like Abraham, but I am no saint. In fact, I'm just the opposite. Well, that leads us to the final lesson uh, from the patriarchs. My spiritual faithfulness massively overshadows my personal failure. Uh, if, like me, you've been reading through the Bible uh, in a year, uh, maybe you've been shocked uh, for the first time, or maybe again, uh, about how the, the really the, the content of Genesis is mainly about 
these dysfunctional family members who deceive each other and lie against each other and hurt each other with violence and adultery and incest and everything else. And unbelievers like to criticize the brutality of the Old Testament as a weakness. But I find it the opposite. I find that God's brutal honesty about the flaws in the heroes of his story, I find this an immense encouragement. It inspires me to know that God chooses flawed people to bless and make a blessing. I mean, Abraham was a flawed husband. Twice he made his wife pretend that she was single because of his exaggerated fears. Isaac was a flawed father who had favorites in, uh, between his sons. Uh, Jacob was a flawed son who took advantage of his father's blindness to deceive him. And Joseph was a flawed brother uh, who in arrogance would uh, feed into the jealousy of his brothers. And the patriarchs were deeply flawed people who God chose to bless and make a blessing. Why? It's because their spiritual faithfulness massively overshadowed their personal failure. What do I mean by spiritual faithfulness? Well, as we close, let me suggest for you three practical examples from the patriarchs of spiritual faithfulness that can open up for us a big part in God's story. Uh, first, I encourage you to uh, read the patriarchs and find from them an encouragement to be faithfully tithing. Uh, here's one thing that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all had in common. They were all tithers. Uh, they all knew that what God gave them in the way of their income and material things was the least important resource that God had given them and entrusted them with. And they all understood that giving back a portion of what God gave to them in worship was entry-level faithfulness. They all knew that if God could not trust them with material blessings, then they certainly couldn't be trusted with much more precious spiritual blessings in God's story. And what was true for the patriarchs is God's lesson for us. It's true for us too. So here in January, have you made a decision uh, to be faithful this year when it comes to giving to God's work? Uh, this is entry level faithfulness that opens you up to the spacious world of, of being a part of God's big story. Next, the patriarchs encourage us to faithfully work. This is how Joseph showed his faithfulness. Whatever Joseph did, he did his best. When he was a slave, he served with all his heart. When he was a prisoner, he worked like he was serving, like he was working for God himself. And God blessed Joseph because of his faithfulness at work. How about you? Being faithful to God means that you do whatever God gives you to do with all your heart. At school, at home, on your job, here at church, you must be at your best 
and God will open up for you as you are faithful in doing your best. He'll open up for you a whole world of how you can be a part of his big story. And then finally, faithfully ask. You know, the, my favorite moment in patriarch history is the night that jo- Jacob wrestled with God. Uh, in Genesis chapter 32, we find out that Jacob was camping uh, alone, and uh, he was visited by an angelic messenger of God. Now, most people in the Bible, when they see an angel, they bow in fear before the angel, but not Jacob. He instead tackles uh, the angel and holds on to the angel and says, bless me, please bless me. I won't let go of you until you bless me. And so God did. And God saw Jacob's tenaciousness as faithfulness. God saw Jacob's desire and his, his, his burning desire to be a part of God's story as faithfulness. God loves it. When I ask, when I ask, and I'm tenacious enough to keep asking that God would bless me and make me a blessing. God loves it when I want to be blessed with his presence, and then I want to be a blessing in in other people's lives. So ask. We all fail. We're all flawed. We are all failures on some level. But in God's eyes, my spiritual faithfulness always overshadows my personal failure. So as we close, how about asking God to bless you right now? How about just saying, God, please Bless me with your presence in my life. Help me know that you are with me in a way that changes my storyline and fills me with fearlessness and a sense of confidence and purpose. And then say, God, I'm asking you to make me a blessing. And then uh, ask God, to open your eyes to the opportunities to bless the people who are around you. And then say, God, I'm serious about this. I'm asking you to bless me and make me a blessing. And I'll keep asking. I won't let you go until you bless me. And as you do this, God smiles because God knows that this is what it means to go beyond just reading Bible history, and actually becoming part of his story.